This is Jesus Campa, and you're listening to Cut to the Chase podcast. Stepping out beyond boundaries takes courage and the ability to dream. We are excited to share our new audio podcast called Cut to the Chase. The structure of this podcast embodies open dialogue with friends, family, and professional colleagues talking about things that impact our ability to thrive. We hope that you will join our unscripted, unbridled podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase. This is episode 116, entitled, If You Need a Friend, Buy Ice Cream. Yep, that's right, people. Another weird title, but I think everyone's going to resonate with what we're going to talk about today. And actually, the title of this episode came from our featured guest, and I can't wait to introduce you guys to him. So before I do that, I found a quote that kind of resonates with what we're going to talk about today, and I want to dive into that quote a little bit. It basically says, many times we think someone is ranting, but they're actually speaking with conviction, and everyone has just forgotten how the sound of real passion truly sounds. We're so afraid of absolute strength in our gut and digging in our heels that we dismiss the power of our voice and of the lonely fighter. Sometimes we listen for the quiet strength of humble confidence, and it's not often someone will stand up for what is right, what is true, and what is pure. More often, we're afraid to admit we're afraid because the, because the truth is so blinding in a dark world. Now, our featured guest today, he's a powerhouse, he's witty, he's a truth advocate, and I'll tell you, I mean, we've got a lot to talk about today about leadership and, and some of the other great things we're going to be talking about. But as I introduce him today, our featured guest is an internationally recognized expert on leadership, law enforcement, and security. He holds a master's degree in criminal justice and security administration, where he's currently working towards his PhD in public servants leadership. Born in El Paso, Texas, and raised by his grandmother, on what many consider to be the wrong side of the track, labeled as an underdog by most of his family, and pushed forward. He is now retired as the chief deputy of El Paso County. After receiving a successful 20-year career, he was appointed as a chief of police officer in Hector County Independent School District in Odessa, Texas, where he now serves as a chief of police for the city of Marshall, Texas. His last tour of chief of police in the city impacted by a racially divide uh, county led him to create an implementation to innovate No Color, No Label initiative designed to remove the preconceived notion that the police were racially motivated to provide safe community for all citizens. In 2017, he was nominated by for the Dr. Martin Luther King Humanitarian of the Year Award by the NCAA, or excuse me, NCAACP. He is also <clears throat> believed in diversity 
that workforce should mirror the community that they serve. And I'm going to say that one more time. He also believes in the diversity that a workforce should mirror the community that they serve. That's a powerful statement, people. Very powerful statement. In 2018, he was named as executive director for the Council of Law Enforcement Education and Training for the state of Oklahoma. And he proudly served before indefinitely retiring for a storybook career in December of 2020. Now, throughout his career, he's been a supporter of what he considers to be 21st century policing, procedural justice, and an active, excuse me, as an activist for police or, excuse me, prison reform. He is also the owner of both American Best Strategy Security Group and Leading Through Adversity. And without further ado, I would like to introduce Mr. Hoos Kampa. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, man. Uh, thanks for that wonderful introduction and um, looking forward to having a great conversation. I actually like the way you 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 said my first name. It was actually pretty good because it almost sounded like Zeus, but it's actually Jesus. Jesus. There you <laughs> go. But but I actually, I was like, ooh, not only, you know, because a lot of people used to call me Jesus because of the way it's spelled. Sure. And then, and then you said Zeus, and I was like, wow, awesome. Now I get to be <laughs> Zeus the God too. No. Yeah. Um, no, just, just kidding. But uh, thank you for the introduction, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, once again, certainly welcome uh, for being on the show, and uh, let's dive in. Let's cut to the chase. So, you know, I think the first thing that, you know, we, we kind of want to dive into here a little bit is really, you've had such a, a really a formidable career in law enforcement and leadership. And, you know, as we know today, leadership and law enforcement still are getting a bad rap out there. What are your thoughts around what you're currently seeing today and some of the things that really led you to try and take some of this emotionally charged energy that's going on in our society, particularly in the counties that you've worked in, and try to bring forth more and more of an impactful way into the racially divided division, particularly as it relates to community and police? Yeah, absolutely. You know, first of all, let's start off with just saying that, you know, I love I love the name of the podcast. So let's just cut to the chase. Let's eliminate <laughs> the bullshit and let's call it what it really is. OK, right. There's a, there, around the country, there's a lack of leadership. And the reason I say there's a lack of leadership is because people have now taken the word leadership and have totally diluted it by definition. You know, you look at the, the definition of leadership and it's there. It's in the book. It tells you exactly what it is. Unfortunately, now people look at leadership based through their eyes of their own perception of what benefits those that are being led by the person leading them. Okay. And mm-hmm. what do I mean by that is that people have surrounded themselves. I call these people Kevins, you know, they're like Kevin, Kevin lights. They, they look mm-hmm. around and they say, what can this leader do for me? If this person fits my agenda, then he's going to be my leader. I'm going to follow him and say, he's a great leader. Mm-hmm. And that's not what leadership is about. Leadership is about taking the, the mission, looking at the mission, looking at the goals, identifying what's best for everybody, not just for a select group of people, mm-hmm. especially by the group of people that are looking to see what that leader can provide for them. So when it comes down to policing, we have gotten to a critical point because 
a lot of police officers out there want to surround themselves by a police chief who's not going to hold them accountable, by a police chief who is going to do what benefits them as opposed to what benefits the entire community, you see, and we forget that mm-hmm. in policing, we become police officers because we're public servants or servants servants of the community, mm-hmm. and that's where we have to implement a servant leadership style. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to agree with the leader on every aspect that he does, but you have to give this leader the opportunity to lead the organization uh, in the correct manner, in the correct form, and that includes everybody, what's inclusive of everyone. You cannot have a police force that is um, only serving people that are a certain color or a certain race or a certain social economic course, or a police chief that's only going to serve its uh, police force. It has to support a police chief that's going to support what is the right thing to do because it's always the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly thank you for sharing that with us. <clears throat> you know, as a, as a part of our first question, you know, with regards to police policing and, and you'd brought up a couple points, you know, with, with regards to, we should mirror the community that they serve. You know, a lot of people find that when they call upon the police, these type of things are really not a reflection of really coming to serve it it is there's a uh, there's a bias that's put in place and that bias kind of leaves the stigma that hey if i got to go to this part of town this is what i'm going to be dealing with i mean and and you kind of categorize or should i say people have been categorized in into one you know classification or box without really providing a benefit of the doubt or or should i say not being shown uh, any innocence in in the aspect. And so by you being a police chief for many, many years, how were you able to turn your departments from having these things that were born and raised into someone's mindset to really have them be a mirror reflection of the community that they serve? I mean, how did you go about doing that? Yeah, that, that's really hard. You know, trying to break and change a person's culture is, is really mm-hmm. hard, especially when they've spent, you know, many years in that upbringing. However, the one thing you do is you got to go back to a grassroots uh, mentality and looking back at the Sir Robert Peel days when law enforcement was first created. And basically that what that states is you got to remember what you are. You're a public servant, mm-hmm. which is basically being the servant of the public. A lot of police officers forget that we have our power is inherited by the people who have voted the lawmakers into into uh, a position to where they create the laws and the power that we have can easily be taken away by the by the public, by the community that we serve, you know. Mm-hmm. So the thing we have to do is we have to remind uh, police officers that the first thing is that they're public servants. They're there to serve the community and the public and move forward by serving them. So... By implementing procedural justice, procedural justice is um, basically the the first concept of the first thing that you learned in in um, school, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Which is treat others the way you want to be treated. Correct. So that's what procedural justice is. It sounds like a really fancy name, but it really, when you boils down to it, it's just treating others the way you want to be treated. 
So we, as, as a police chief, you have to treat your subordinates the way you expect them to treat the community. And that's with dignity and respect. Now, 90, 99% of police officers are really good people. They're people who have chosen the calling. And actually, let me rephrase that. The calling has chosen them to go out and do the right job. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like you said, the stigma and the spread of social media categorizes a lot of law enforcement as, as having these preconceived notions of whether they're racially biased or whether they're um class bias or whether they're some kind of bias, right? And the first thing we need to do is remove that uh, that notion because the police are really not racially motivated by far. It may seem that they are, but they're not. Now, there's areas in the country where they are racially biased, and I unfortunately had the, the unfortunate uh, task of leading an organization that was very biased in East Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very racially divided, but that's why we created the No Colors, No Labels initiative, which was a program that was designed to remove the preconceived notion that the police were racially motivated. Mm-hmm. And we did a grassroots project. We went out there and knocked on doors and showed the people that what we were there to do is to actually help them uh, and that they shouldn't be afraid of us. And, and that is a very hard thing to do, especially when people are already preconditioned to have this bias, but you just got to break it down and you do that by leadership. And basically the bottom line is as a leader, or as a police chief, you have to put your foot down with the people that you lead and explain to them that you're not there to be their friend. You're there to accomplish a mission. Now, if mm-hmm. a friendship, if a friendship does result at the end of that, that that's great. But the first thing you got to remember is as the leader, you're not there to be liked. You're there to do a mission. And like I said, if you want to be a leader who is liked, well, go sell some ice cream with them or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I commend you for for everything that um, you've gone through, through the adversity and challenges that you've had to deal with, you know, primarily because myself being uh, being a minority business person and, you know, having a few instances where, you know, you're pulled over by an officer of the law, it's late night, you know, and, and the notion of it is, is the hair on the back of your neck stands up, even though you haven't done anything wrong, the hair on the, on your, on the back of your neck stands up because, you know, you just feel like either this could go right or it can go wrong. And I think the overall perception that has been cast upon us as a country has always been extremely, extremely negative towards how I'm going to say black communities and 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 police officer uh, interfaces have been. You know those encounters, how how they've how they've transpired and how they've unfolded, not only in the private eye but also in the public eye. Now that, like you said, you you know you've got social media that's out there. What do you think are some of the things, I mean, I know you've instituted, you know, programs such as no color, no label, no labels, but what do you think the things from a leadership perspective, because obviously counties can initiate things and they can go, you know, through their local government and local municipalities, and then perhaps they go statewide, but we're looking at a countrywide systemic issue that seems to have you know, this type of black cloud above us that really needs to go away and, and, and hear me out on this. And I'm, and I'm, I'm just being really, you know, transparent and frank, you know, I'm, I live in Texas, so I live in your home state, you know, and, uh, 
I was driving through Alabama, you know, and I went to go pick up my daughter's car. She's in school out there. You know, we're coming back, you know, to Texas and, uh, you know, officer pulls me over. Uh, he gives me some, you know, lame brain excuse, uh, sir, you were swerving or this or that or so forth. So on. Now let's be mindful. I hadn't drinked. My wife's in the car beside me. You know, as far as I was concerned, I did nothing illegal or, or any indication to basically pull him over, except for the fact I'm coming through Alabama and I've got Texas plates on my car. So, you know, at that moment, like I said, the hair on the back of my neck started to stand up because I'm like, you know, I'm just outside of Montgomery, you know, and I'm going, this is not going to go good, you know, at one, two o'clock in the morning as, as, as we're driving. But luckily, you know, through prayer, through quick prayer, everything worked out. But, you know, I didn't like that feeling, you know, it, it gave me the willies, you know, with regards to the fact that this could go 50, 50, it could go either way because you just never know who's going to walk up to you. Like you said, most police officers are good, you know, but what's being casted out there and what's being shown in the media, the newspapers and all these other things, it's not necessarily good. And so as a country, what are some of the first steps that you see that we need to take to try to fix this problem? Yeah, you know, I I totally agree with you. Uh, you said something that was key there. The system, systematically, the system is systematically broken, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, and actually, I don't even know if it was a system that was that's broken or it's a system that was created that way. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when the system, the laws and everything was enacted and created, they were enacted at a time and created during a time where certain beliefs were acceptable. Those beliefs are no longer acceptable. And yeah, we've made the corrections and made the adjustments. However, uh, we're never going to end this systematic problem of changing things until we all sit down at the table and stop looking at each other as colors. You know, there's an interview with Morgan Freeman where he sits down with, um, I think it's just a gentleman from 60 Minutes, and he says, you know, the only way we're going to end racism is if you stop referring to me as a black man and I stop referring to you as a white man. You know, exactly. I know you know me as Jesus and I know you as Gregory. I don't know you mm-hmm. as a black man and you don't know me as a Hispanic male. You don't exactly. go around and introducing each other. So the first thing we need to do is knock that off. And that's what No Colors, No Labels was was, was designed for, mm-hmm. is that, look, don't refer to me as a color. Don't refer to me as a, as, as a label. Yes, acknowledge that I am different. Yes, I have different beliefs and different trains of thought. But I think that's that's what is wrong with society in general is we're afraid of the unknown. You know, uh, white males fear Hispanic males because, you know, nowadays they go around saying that the Mexicans are coming in to take the jobs. Well, we're taking the jobs that you don't want to do. I mean, mm-hmm, you know, I mm-hmm. don't think you really want to be out there picking uh, uh, tomatoes and, 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 and jalapenos, you know. Black mm-hmm. individuals were, you know, they weren't, they weren't, uh, black individuals weren't uh, immigrants to the country. They were imports. You that's were right. imported by the, you were imported into the country. So let's call it what it really is, you know? And mm-hmm. that's the thing, what I love about Cut to the Chase is that we can say the honest truth. And the honest truth is that as a Hispanic male, I've been there right there with you. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of color as well. You know, I was in, I was in South, I was in North Carolina. I'm the police, I'm a police chief at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm out running in the summer in shorts, running shoes, have AirPods on, a tank top, and I'm out running doing some exercise when I get pulled over by a police officer who happens to be a, a white Caucasian male. And I already mm-hmm. know how this is going to go because the first mm-hmm. thing out of his mouth is he says, hey, boy. And I'm right. like, oh, God. So I've got one or two decisions, choices to make. I can either get smart with him and still let him know who I am or I just take his abuse, right? And and we have this interaction 
Mm-hmm. He's asking me, you know, we got a phone call of a suspicious male. I'm like, suspicious male? It's 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 the middle of summer. I'm running. How is this? How am I suspicious? I'm not running around with a television on my on my on my back. Exactly. exactly. So I totally understand what you all are saying. I, I totally get it. You know, but how are we going to change that? And it's how the only way we're going to change that is by us as the leaders, as the police chiefs going out and diversifying our law enforcement. And what I mean by that is, yes, you have to hire people that make up your community, people that understand the different parts of the community. You have to get people involved. You have to come to the table and talk. And that's one of the things that we did in East Texas is we came to the table. And the way I brought people to the table to get to know one another by by creating a cultural awareness meal. Mm-hmm. Every month we highlighted a particular race. You know, like we started off with the African-American community and we, mm-hmm. and we ate the traditional foods, the neck bones, the chicken, the mm-hmm. lizards, the gizzards, the greens. And what we found out is that we had a lot more in common with each other because that was what we call survival food. It was the food that was available to eat at the time, just mm-hmm. like with us Hispanics. We eat a lot of beans. You know, we've been called beaners because we eat a lot of beans, but that's where mm-hmm. we derived our protein from because we couldn't kill the cow because then we wouldn't have milk or be able to make milk or cheese or things like mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that once, you know, we understand what fear really is or the fear of the unknown, which is, you know, false evidence appearing to be real, is that once we sit down at the table and get to know each other one-on-one, not as a black man or as a brown man or as a white man, but as human beings, that's the only way we're going to be able to move forward. And as a police chief, I think it's important to bring those cultural awarenesses and unite the culture together. You know, it's not us against them and them against us. It's all of us coming together to make a better world and a better society for one another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely like the way that you you phrase that, you know, with regards to, uh, you know, cultural awareness obviously being key. But I'm going to take this one step further, you know, because uh, I'm a pro component of trying to knock down the barriers, trying to, you know, negate the fact that, you know, we're well beyond the time of change because, you know, we're 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 supposed to be the most advanced country in the world. We're supposed to be the, you know a, a superpower that people tend to look at us and go, "Hey, this is why I aspire to live the American dream." Well, as we've seen, and this is no no outlash or or, or take at anybody's political um, uh, you know reference or point of view. But it's just to say that over the past year, over the past 13 or 14 months, we've lost that zealous because of how we've handled certain things here in the U.S. And how instead of us being casted in a light of understanding and and, and what America was all about, we've been cast in a light of, man, can we really screw this up any more than what we already have? And I think, you know, the American public is still dealing with that. And then you compound you know something that is significant as having a a uh, a spread of a of a pandemic and then you throw in gasoline on a fire and you've got social uprising and then you throw more gasoline on the fire and you got not only hatred towards you know uh, minorities but now you've got hatred towards you know Asians and this and that and i mean it it just really put us in the eyes of the beholder and in the eyes of the rest of the world as saying, you know what, people, we need to wake up. We really need to wake up because significantly at the end of the day, for me, out of all the episodes that we've recorded on Cut to the Chase, 
If you close your damn eyes and you have a real authentic conversation with anyone today, you will find that you find something completely relatable to the standpoint of where you are in your life or either something that has happened to you in your past. We are all cut from the same cloth. This BS that we've got going on today at the top with leaders, at the middle positions with our leaders, in our counties with our leaders has got to change, people. It's got to change. And I mean, let's think about it. We don't need friends. We need action. You know, we need compassion. We need motivation. We need people that we can look up to that have the ability to represent themselves in a genuine and diplomatic way to serve. And I think that's what we've been talking about here is to serve the general public in the highest formidable means possible. And we've lost sight of that. I mean, it took this great nation several hundreds of years to be built, and we literally lost it in one year based on our actions. And to me, that's completely mind-boggling. What do you say about that? Oh no, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I could have said it any. I don't think I could have said it any better. Unfortunately, you're one hundred percent right. And here's the deal, okay? Look, like you said, regardless of what political party you're on or what platform you stand behind, let's just call it the truth, okay? The truth is that you know, uh, let's let's go let's go four or five six let's go six years back, okay? I'm sure. a man. I'm I'm a Hispanic man. I was the first minority to come into East to that East Texas community to lead its police agency. When mm-hmm. I first got there, yeah, there was a little bit of racial tension towards me, and I could feel it. And I knew it was there, but I was doing everything I could to work it and patch it up. Okay. As soon mm-hmm. as a as soon as a political powerhouse decided to throw his his hat into the ring to run for president, uh, everything shifted, and I could feel the tension even more. And I knew it mm-hmm. was a boiling point. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from that time before that had occurred, we had done a wonderful job in the United States of at least suppressing as much as we could the hatred that we had for one another, okay? The racial division, it was suppressed. We knew it existed, but we had done a good job of kind of hiding it and we were kind of moving forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and unfortunately, once that happened, that ugly monster reared its head and it allowed it for it to become a systematic issue again, a systematic failure where it was okay to dislike certain colors, certain people, certain races, now, what impacted us in 2020 was a pandemic that that showed that it affected everyone. It didn't. It wasn't uh, racist or anything like that because it affected mm-hmm. all of us in the same manner. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was. It did not. Uh, it wasn't. But then again, you saw a certain individual go out and try to make it a racial issue, a component mm-hmm. of race, by calling it the China virus or the mm-hmm. Kung Fu virus. Mm-hmm. And then again, what did that do? It sparked up against violence against the Asians, and it started against them. We saw it. We saw it in nine eleven when nine eleven occurred against the Muslims. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to always find somebody to blame without taking the accountability and saying, you know what, we're all to blame, okay? This is a human systematic error that has gone wrong, and how are we going to fix it? It's just like people don't understand Black Lives Matter. You hear all the things about that people say about Black Lives Matter. Oh, they're a terrorist organization. Oh, they're this, they're that. Oh, no, wait a minute. All lives matter, which is really annoying for me to hear because you're absolutely right. Yes, all lives matter. Black Lives Matter is not saying that Black Lives Matter more than white lives or blue lives or any other lives. What they're mm-hmm. saying, like you said, is that they unfortunately happen to be the house that's on fire on the block right now. And we keep mm-hmm. pouring gasoline on it and it keeps exploding. So mm-hmm. why don't we all 
all of us come together and go put out that fire and let's put that fire out. And then we can just casually finally say, yeah, you're right. You know, right now everything's cohesive because we've put out that fire that we created. And now let's move on to the next fire. Whose house is on fire next? You cannot go out and say, well, all lives matter. Yes, yes, all lives matter. But that's like saying, we're here on a block. Is your house on fire? Well, no, that house is on fire. Well, I'm not going to help that house because who's going to help me? Well, your house is not on fire. Why do I need to put your fire out if there's no fire? Exactly. So I think that once we all understand what the true movement is, and this is a movement and, and something that's been affected and affecting the African-American community for a long time, is, is, is we need to go in there and we need to put out that fire. And the only way we're going to do is by having leaders that come up front and actually say, you know what, enough is enough. It's time to move forward. Everybody come to this table. Let's knock it off and let's move forward as one, not as a group of individuals. Totally, totally agree. Totally agree. You know, um, I, I find that uh, throughout all of this tumultuous turbulence that continues to just, you know, breathe fire, that the one thing that comes back to me that really resonates is it, 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 it starts, you know, you can say it starts at the top. And then in a, in a lot of aspects, I look at it from both sides of the spectrum. You know, it, it could also start at the bottom. It could also start at your dinner table. It could also start with your neighbor. It could start with your your friend that may not be completely honest and truthful to you, could just be putting on the show, could be pretending. But the number one thing that resonates with me the most, and it really hits me to the core, is the accountability that once we start down this track, when we start down the path of trying to bring people to the table, trying to increase diversity awareness, trying to do things in DNI and 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 bring forth, you know, proper rigor and proper, you know, service, you know, as as being a, a a public servant to the community, the accountability seems to come in and go out just like some trend or some fashion from bell-bottom jeans to straight legs, from tennis shoes to blue jeans, to, to boots. I mean, we don't hold ourselves accountable. We don't keep persevering through the toughest parts of the tumultuous fight to ensure that what outcome we get is not a short-term outcome, but a long-term legacy that will improve the betterment and the quality of lives for those that precede us. And to me, that accountability has always been a very, very huge component of that. And I think that goes above and beyond leadership. I believe it goes across the board, regardless of what your heritage or culture or nationality is, is because we got to look at ourselves in the mirror. You know, we got to look at ourselves in the mirror every day and say, do we treat others the way we want to be treated? And if the freaking answer is no, then we need to be doing something about it. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Totally agree with you hundred percent. I mean, you know, accountability, you know, and it's funny you talk about accountability because I'm often referred to, and I'm not saying that I'm the world's greatest police chief. I'm not saying that I've got all the answers for law enforcement. Cause I know there's a lot of my critics out there that will totally disagree with me. Sure. Um, but you know what? I, 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 I accept that, you know, I, I've made mistakes throughout my law enforcement career and I've tried to correct them. And now I, you know, and trying to move in a different direction, right? 
But accountability is the one thing that is lacking. And I think that accountability is the most important thing. But people seem to confuse accountability with being liked. See, Mm -hmm. leaders today don't want to hold people accountable because, and this is the honest truth. Look, as a police chief, your job is always on the line. Mm -hmm. You've got a bullseye on you 100% of the time. Why? Because you're you're hired or appointed by a police chief. I mean, you're hired as a police chief by a city manager. That city manager is accountable to the mayor and the people that appointed him. So it's like everybody's trying to please everybody and you can't get anywhere because everybody's trying to 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 do the buddy system the nice thing let's do what mm-hmm. let's let's not do what's right let's do what makes everybody happy well you're never going to get anywhere by making those kind of decisions okay and that's where leadership is in in crisis right now because i think that leadership is too busy trying to make everybody happy as opposed to doing what's right and holding themselves accountable. I know that for a fact, hey, I know that I've I've ruined my career in many aspects for doing the right thing, for standing up and saying what's right, mm-hmm. you know? And there's a lot of other police chiefs out there and a lot of other leaders who are moving in the forefront trying to do what's right. But unfortunately, in the public sector, a lot of the times you can't do what's right because you may be the leader, but you're not the puppet master. That's you know? right. And, and you have strings because you're beholden to other people because of party lines and whether or not you want to keep your job or not. And sometimes you got to go out there and just totally go against the grain, you know, and you got to see the vision for what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that people are so afraid of of having a person that's going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do because it's going to force them to look in the mirror and realize that they have not been living the right life and they have not been treating others the way they want to treat others. And by any means, I'm not perfect and I know that I need a lot of work. And as long as you're learning from those mistakes and moving forward, that's what's going to get us to that achievement. But we're so far off of that because People are just afraid of, like you said, looking in the mirror and realizing that they're not what they claim to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I think uh, I think we all fit into that category. I mean, whether whether folks that are putting their uh, their fake lives out there on social media or or casting hatred, you know, we we all fall into the category, or certainly of certainly not being perfect by any means. You know, and uh, you know this this whole dialogue ha- has really kind of it really has kind of struck an accord with regards to the fact that you know it's good to have it's good to have friends, you know, but but right now what we're talking about is that we need we need those leaders, and it doesn't matter if the leader is a four year old or five year old. Doesn't matter if the leader is seventy years old or eighty year old. Uh, individuals, but leaders are needed. Leaders are needed to help bring forth the diversification, bring forth the cultural change, bring forth the society and togetherness in a way that it is unprecedented to the direction and course of destruction that we have currently been on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And with that, I've got a quote that I was going to try and hold off to the end, but I think right now is the most predominant time to really recite that quote. And it basically says, never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty, truth, and compassion against injustice and lying and greed. If all the people over the world 
would just do this, it would change for everyone worldwide. Now, that's what we've been talking about, you know, as far as leadership and how leadership is needed, you know, to really step up to the plate. And so, Jesus, you've got a book coming up, you know, and that book's going to be released, what, here in July, June, yes. July? July 4th. July 4th. And it talks about unmasking leadership. Can you give us a little segue into that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it, it basically does everything that we've been talking about is unmasking leadership is that, you know, it's time for leadership to step up, take off the mask, cut the strings of them, the puppet masters, and do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Hey, look, it covers everything from, you know, what identifying what leadership truly is. And it, it uncovers the definition of leadership. It uncovers that, you know what, as a leader, it's okay to fail. You should be proud of your failures because once you fail, that's the only way you know how to do things right because now you know how to restart except with a little bit of experience. Talks about how, hey, as a leader, it's okay to piss people off. You're not going to always be the most liked guy. And if you want to be the liked guy, go buy some ice cream or have somebody buy the ice cream for you or whatever. It talks about the reality of what leadership is. You know what? Talks about how the fact that, you know what? I, for one, you know, I can tell you this. I've been often criticized by people who have never led anything in their entire lives other than they lead they lead the course in opening their mouth and talking a bunch of BS that they don't know what they're talking about. But mm -hmm. it, it talks about the fact that, you know what, there's always going to be critics out there. You're always going to have people who are out there criticizing your leadership style. But as long as you're doing the right thing for everybody, it's okay. So that's what unmasking leadership is about. It's basically letting leaders know that, hey, it's okay to have struggles. It's okay to piss people off. It's okay to move forward and do the right thing. And sometimes it's even okay to just walk away when you know that you can't do any more if it's what's best for the for the organization. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it talks about un unmasking the puppet masters. It talks about, you know, not being a Kevin, uh, mm -hmm. which is my term for being a kiss ass. You know, it's, a, it's mm -hmm. okay for doing your things that you got to move forward. And it brings leadership back to what leadership should be. It's mission-driven, accomplish the mission, treat others the way you want to be treated. Don't accomplish the mission just by any means, but the means is what's going to get the mission accomplished. So that's kind of what unmasking leadership is all about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I certainly agree with, with that. And probably the only thing that I would, that I would add on to that is... Uh, when you are in these leadership positions and roles, you have to have dignity. You have to have integrity. I mean, you know, you just can't do some of the things that we've seen that that are that are basically uh, thrown upon us as as a leader. I mean that that doesn't that doesn't give me any great marks that I've elected the right guy or the right official to be in the these. Uh, situations of office to publicly serve, bring forth that dignity in which, you know, it kind of resonates back to what I was saying earlier is uh, it starts sometimes when you're a child. It starts how you were brought up through your upbringing. It starts at the dinner table. It starts with the respect that you had for your parents and your elders and for your brother and your sister and so forth and so on. You know, all of those key essential core values as we're talking about, you know, the identifying of, of, of leaders, 
It's all of those things as to how we start. And if we elect the wrong guys or we put the wrong guys in the wrong position, this is what we're going to get, people. Your friend, the guy that you go buy ice cream with. And it may taste sweet, but eventually it's going to be bitter for you over the long haul. So, Jesus, um, I tell you, it, it this has been great, man. I mean, you know what? We probably need to get you back after your book gets released. Awesome. It'd be my honor to, you know, I just want to just go back a little bit, you know, about perception. Sure. You, know, you talk about the dignity and the respect, and that's what unmasking also touches on. It touches on the fact that people around the world have this perception that leadership is is only good if it benefits your individual mm-hmm. beliefs, as opposed to leadership being good if it benefits everyone. That's and right. So yeah, that, that goes into the dignity and the respect issue that that every leader should have, uh, regardless of the perception that people have of your leadership ability. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we're wrapping up here, you know, uh, a couple questions uh, just to kind of wrap up. I guess the first one is, will your book be available on, I guess, most of the platforms out there? Is that going to be like Amazon, Kindle? I mean, how, how can people go about getting the book once it's released? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, July 4th, it'll be released on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kimball, uh, Walmart, Amazon. Every every uh, book distributor that it's out there, it'll be available on that platform. Uh, July 6th, it'll be available on my website, jesusericampa.com or leadingthroughadversity.com. Of course, if you buy it through me directly, uh, you know, it'll only be $15. I'll even cover the shipping and handling, and I'll even autograph it for you. Nice. Nice. Well, thank thank you for sharing that. And I guess the last thing that I wanted to um, to ask is, you know, we've talked about a lot of things here as results of leadership and the whole fallacy from our discovery call, which is if you need a friend, buy ice cream. Overall, what does that phrase mean to you? Well, you know, it it basically boils down to this. Look, leadership is a tough job. It's a tough decision. If you've never been in a leadership role, regardless of whether you were good or bad at it, what it means is that you're at the end of the day, you're the guy who's having to make the tough decisions, okay? And Mm -hmm. you cannot uh, expect that individual to make friendship uh, to to make decisions based on your friendship, okay? You know, you got to remember friends are f- f- friends. Your your friends. You know, if you can't tell the difference between business and friendship, then you have no business. If you want to be friends, then go to the ice cream parlor, buy some ice cream, and have a good talk with the ice cream man instead. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, certainly, uh, Jesus, we uh, certainly appreciate your time and. Uh, Certainly appreciate all the insight and everything that uh, you've shared with us today, uh, particularly as it uh, embodies this particular topic. And we wish you much, much success on the releasal of Unmasking the Leadership, or excuse me, Unmasking Leadership, which will be available roughly the first week of July. And to our listeners, as I've always stated at the end of every podcast, Let's figure out ways that we can unify our, our ongoing problems. Let's figure out a way to show more compassion and empathy towards one another. Let's figure out how we can unite in a means that brings forth togetherness. You know, that's our challenge here with Cut to the Chase. 
And we hope that those that listen will take on that challenge and figure out a way to make this world a much better place. I'm your host, Gregory Proctor. This has been episode 116, entitled, If You Need a Friend, Buy Ice Cream. Jesus, thank you very much. We appreciate all your insight. Looking forward to getting you back on another episode here in the future. To everyone out there, God bless, take care, and bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Cut to the Chase. You'll also find even more great content on our website at www.k2tcpodcast.com. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.